Let's do it. Let's do it. Broadcasting from around the world, you're listening to The First 100, a podcast on how founders acquired their first 100 paying customers. Here's your host, Hadi Rodwan. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well, and thank you very much, Hadi, for having me. I'm really glad we're chatting and, um, you know, excited about the next 15, 20 minutes we speak. Let me just start with a quick introduction for our listeners. So Sophie Solanki is the founder of Narato, a platform that brings all content creation and collaboration in one single place. Sophie is also a serial entrepreneur with multiple startups under her belt. Did I get all of that right? Or would you like to add anything else for our listeners, Sophie? No, Hadi, you, you got pretty much everything there. I have spent close to about 12 years now in the content space. I ran an agency business first. Then I had a SaaS startup, which was a content recommendations for social media app. Shorter journey. Now I'm just pouring in all my decade of experience into Narejo. And I'm really hoping that it can revolutionize the way content creation happens, which is right now very, very scattered on multiple pieces of software. That's great. So if you were to explain your business to a five-year-old, what would be your pitch? So, yeah, I think that's a question that my daughter would probably ask me as well. So what I would tell her is that if you are all the content that you're looking at on your phone or your iPad or what daddy is reading, what mommy is reading, it's created by some really brilliant people out there. But right now they're using a lot of apps to actually put it all together. So I'm creating something to make it much easier for them to do this and do it much faster so that they can bring more wonderful content to you quickly. So if you want to break down this content creation space, currently, how many apps is an average uh, user using and how does Narrator replace all of this? I'll actually just walk you through a very typical workflow. So it usually starts with ideation, uh, research, which means that you will be looking at a lot of different tools which tell you what audiences may be searching for, what they're talking about. And they could be, you know, simple keyword tools like Ahrefs, SEMrush, et cetera. Then once you've done that, you go, you have a term, then you sit with your team, a lot of manual work where you try to figure out what is it that you want to write about. Then you create these tasks, then you create briefs, which take a lot of time. You use some content tools again to do that. Once you've done that, then you try to use Google Docs plus a project management software to try to tie it all together. And there are two separate worlds. One is maybe Google Workspace. The other one is another project management software, so they don't talk to each other very well. Lots of backs and forths. There's Slack for communication. And then when you're trying to ship it, then again, you know, it's, it's another platform. And in the middle, when they try to optimize, they're using Grammarly, they're using a bunch of other tools, which could be either for SEO or for other things. Now, what we're doing with Narrato is trying to bring as much as of this on a single place as possible. For example, what Narrato allows you to do is once you've established your research, you can come here, you can generate some ideas, content topics based on what you want to target. You can create your tasks right there. And our tasks, like our project management software is not just a task, but it's also the editor or the document where you can create content, which makes a huge difference. You know, just switching tabs and trying to work 
between multiple software. We're trying to eliminate that part. And for collaboration, there are all the team management features where you can assign tasks, go back and forth. And then we have the API if you want to publish. And very recently, we realized that if we add this grammar checkers, we add your sometimes people use plagiarism checkers, and then you use SEO stuff. So we're bringing in all of these important tools that content creators need to be able to complete their piece. And what it has led to is building a software which basically cuts down your content creation time by a minimum of 30%, could be as much as 50%, depending on what your process looks like. That's a great saving and a value proposition. So if you were to go back to your early thought process, how did you identify that this is a pain point for your customers? How did you know that there's an opportunity to deliver a solution that actually people need? The story goes all the way back to when I started working on my own, my entrepreneurial journey. And like I mentioned before, we were running a content creation and marketing agency. We're creating a lot of content, like thousands of pieces of content, sometimes in a month. And uh, we try to create our own custom software. We try to use project management tools. And then we had all of these other tools that we were using. And with minor automations or major development, we were trying to put all of this together. It kept falling apart because none of these solutions were made for content creation. We were just trying to do some patchwork. We heard the same with our clients and I spoke to a number of them. And even before we started work on Narrator, we spoke to a lot of people who were doing content creation and we heard the same thing. So we thought, you know, why not just build this platform for content creators where they can just bring their work to all at the same place. There are lots of software which let you do a lot of things, but they don't need all those things. They need some part of it which we can have on the software and let them not get distracted by the noise that it creates. So that's how our journey started. We realized there was a problem. We created a prototype. We floated it around. We let people use it for free for a while. We were in beta for major part of last year. We saw that it was making a difference. And that's when we uh, formally launched. And, you know, right now we have Quite a few customers, very happy customers, realizing that, you know, things can be easier than they are at the moment. So how do you know when to switch between the beta and and the real product? What's the North Star metric that you currently follow? Yeah. So for the last two products, what we did was, so we decide on a metric. We say that, you know, X number of active customers, if you have. So, and it's usually a couple of hundred. So once we see that we have a couple of hundred monthly active users who are coming back using the product regularly, we realize that it's ready. That's the time we do a proper launch. Till then we offer it for free. We keep talking to the customers. We try to engage them as much as possible and try to get to a point. For us, it's never been about the time, but it's about seeing a couple of hundred users regularly working on the software, working with it and getting benefit out of it. Thank you for sharing this. You know, one of your features is an AI writing tool. And we've seen that this has become a hot topic. What is your thought process on AI tools? And can they actually write content for you? Or are they at a basic stage at this stage? So I think the way we should look at the technology right now when it comes to natural language generation is that it's powerful right now. It can create very meaningful, uh, very smart content, but at the end of the day, it is an assistant. 
My guess is it's never going to really replace humans because humans bring that insight, intelligence, that research, and the context. And very often these tools just are churning out content based on what they have been trained on. They won't bring the context. For example, if an event recently happened or something's happening right now and you need to talk in that context, they can't bring that context. If they have to bring in the research or bring in the right emotions to say the right things, they can't bring that. But what they really powerfully do for you is when you are hitting a writer's block, they can quickly deliver a great paragraph of content, a couple of sentences that you can quickly work with, modify and add. They're also very good at improving the tone of your content, for instance, or generating copy. So you need like four versions of a headline, you generate those headlines and choose between them. It's a beautiful tool to brainstorm, use as an assistant, but whether you should be creating entire articles out of it, probably not the best idea. Uh, You should use them as assistants rather than content generators. Perfect. When you prioritize developing features, being in the market for, I think, now around three years, how do you define which feature is more important than the other? Yeah, that's a great question, Hadi. We have a lot of debate internally also on which one to do and what to do first. So so I won't call it exactly a matrix, but we have like four or five different factors on which we weigh each of our uh, features. So we build a pipeline. We say, okay, you know, let's associate a score based on how easy it would be to build. What is the impact it's likely to deliver? Another thing that we think about is, you know, what is that impact that it will uh, drive in terms of activation of users or in terms of acquisition of users? Because we are an early stage company and we want to make sure that we grow fast enough. So those are some additional things that we think about. So not only the impact in terms of how you work, what benefits it brings, but also the impact in terms of user acquisition or activation. We look at all of these, we get a score out of it, and it could be any scale. We use a scale of five, but it could be any scale, 10, scale, 100. And then we get a score and then we basically use those numbers to arrange. And then we have a healthy discussion around, okay, so this seems to be the top three things that have come on the top. Should we be going after them? Which ones should be prioritized? So basically a mix of minor maths, some brainstorming, and then taking final calls collaboratively is how we do it. This is very helpful advice. Thank you, Sophia, for this. And uh, when it comes to pricing, because pricing is critical to acquiring customers, I can see that you follow a freemium model. You have a free version, then you have a paid version, an $8 and a $16. Was that the original pricing you started with? And how do you determine what this paid version could be like? Another great question, because pricing was something that we debated on for a very long time. We did launch with the current model, which is the usage model where we charge per user, except for the guests. But there was a long period of time just before we were launching our paid plans that we were considering doing plans based on a different usage metric, which was how much content you're creating. So there were two metrics, like should we go after the amount of content someone is creating on their workspace or should we go after how many users they bring on board? And then we started looking at some of our customer usage and we noticed that 
you know, there could be a small team creating a lot of content because, you know, their aim or their goal is very different as compared to a larger team creating lesser content, but putting more effort into it. So uh, we did some analysis, data analysis, some customer conversations, and we realized that the best way to identify usage would be as to how many users come on the platform and work together. So collaboration basically became that vector that we wanted to work with. So that's how we arrived at upper user pricing. So yeah, so far, it seems to be the right choice. But I think pricing is one thing where you should always be open to experimentation, exploration. Like, for example, there are lots of other things that you could do. One is you can have one pricing, keep it simple. The other is like a lot of software have modules which are add-ons, so which allows people to customize what they need and what they don't need. So at the moment, we've decided to keep it simple, but I think we're open to seeing how things evolve and what, what are the right changes that we need to make at the right time. Sophia, do you remember your first customer, your first paying customer? Yeah, yeah. Actually, there were a couple of them together. So I don't remember the order in which they came, but it's a great feeling. The first order coming coming into your account, in our case, the Stripe account, it, it felt that you're on the right path. So, do, yeah. Do, do you remember what sort of communication you initiated originally or marketing plan that you followed to land these two customers? Our first customers actually happened to be people that we had already started working with in Beta. And they were also folks that we had known for a while. So, you know, there was already a lot of trust in what we were building. So it was easier. But the next 50, 100 customers that we got, they were folks out of our network of people we didn't know so well. And that all got generated out of all the content marketing that we did. And we manage all of that on our own platform. So we were eating our own dog food. We were doing what we preached that content is the way to reach out to your customers, generate leads. But that became very soon, you know, after the first few customers, very soon become the mainstay of how we got our next set. I can see that your blog is very rich in content. And is that your first and most useful strategy that you've implemented that's generating all of your customers? Yeah, so that's the definitely the first strategy that we went after. And it's also because, you know, we have a lot of experience doing it in the past. We've done it for our previous SaaS software. There was not a single marketing dollar that we spent on any ads there. And we know it works. We know how to make it work as well. It's all about creating very useful content, researching what to talk about, and not just talking about what you think is right, putting it all together, having a plan, making sure you have a calendar, following it through. So that paid off very well. Of recent, we've also started experimenting with other things, however, because we wanted to see, you know, what are the other channels. And these include some outbound uh, marketing that we're doing. So we're also actively reaching out in communities, which seems to be working well. But yeah, content is still our mainstay. So we go after it all the time. So if you were to give a two-minute crash course for someone who wants to follow a content strategy, we know for a fact that, you know, content is a strategy that takes a long time to cement itself. It might take years. It might take a few months, depending on the keywords you're trying to rank for on Google, etc. So if you were to give 
few advice or points for entrepreneurs if they want to develop a content strategy to attract customers what would be a shortcut that you can use immediately so actually in our experience it doesn't have to take long you know it's basically all about the strategy that you're building and when i say strategy that's a very generic word but to break it down if you do the research right and it very often uh, starts with doing a keyword research and you can use like a ton of tools for that and identifying these either long tail opportunities or gaps where people haven't really already created content and clearly a lot of people want to hear about it so there are you know all these places that you can figure out what people are asking about etc and if you choose your content topics or ideas right and create a very well optimized piece and we use our own SEO content brief for that which helps us with okay what questions we should be answering what keywords to include and once you do that and you follow that and you put it out we've seen thousands of impressions come from articles which were just published days ago and another thing that we've learned is that if you also add to it a partnership strategy where you actually go ahead and work with other bloggers or you work with friends and other companies these could be very many different kind of partnerships they're writing on your blog you're trying to reach out to their customers through their newsletters and all of this put together actually starts working much faster than you will expect it to so content doesn't have to take long it just has to be done right and um, so yeah i would say spending time on that research is going to make all the difference how do you decide between you know your segment that you're targeting because i can see that you're more of a product led growth company you're targeting uh, maybe individuals or small businesses due to the fact that you're pricing it in a low tier stage how do you decide if you go enterprise or you go your strategy and how do you know if it's better suited as a product led growth strategy or a sales led growth strategy so hardy for that matter we are still discovering we are actually going mid market these days we always have that diy option right there so where you know somebody can go create an account start working with it and work with it and honestly i i love that model you know it gives me immense satisfaction you know that you've built a product that people can use without having to coach them and that's the most satisfying thing but having said that i think when you look at larger teams and if you want larger accounts and you will probably have to get into that sales spiel where you talk to them first you convince them of the value then you walk them through the process of setting up the account etc and i've seen our accounts come through both and there's value in sales led model as well because you form these relationships you form this empathy for your customer you understand them better and when you get that account that account actually has a longer life cycle very often i think there is definitely a path where you could run both of these parallelly and we are trying to take that path i think both of them can coexist plus in our case you know because it's a per user model so it just scales anyways so if you get a bigger account it's more number of users so yeah perfect one of the topics that's dear to my heart is entrepreneurs anxiety which a lot of founders you know suffer with yeah. and i think if you're also a parent it it becomes even 
harder because you're running a company and a family. Tell me a little bit more about your experience with this type of anxiety and how have you managed to, let's say, cage it? It's a real problem. It's definitely a real problem. And, you know, there was a period when I was getting very anxious, waking up at nights, thinking about what we should be doing, how we should be doing it, trying to work in the middle of uh, nights or hours of the morning. But after a while, you realize that, look, you know, life is not all about the work and not all about what you're doing, but there is a life with your family, life with your friends and life about experiencing. And I think once you realize, you absorb it, you realize what you're doing is not the only thing. And being anxious in the night doesn't help. So I think it's more about self-awareness than anything else. So what worked for me was the self-awareness that, you know, it's not the end of the world. There's so much that you can do and so many experiences you can have. And your startup is one of those experiences that you should enjoy. If you're not enjoying, then, you know, it's pointless. And that really helps. So now I have been more at peace with everything, sleeping well, and that self-awareness helped. Another thing that helps, by the way, is getting fresh air, exercise. That's really, really important just to get your system back into action. So I think that's that's an advice I give my team all the time as well, that, you know, please don't spend all your time in front of screens, take a break, walk around, get fresh air, get some exercise. It really does help. How important is failure to you? I don't think for me, failure is important, but it is important to learn from them, the failures that you go through. And everybody fails. Like ever since you were born, you know, when you tried to take your first step and you couldn't, you fell down, that was a failure. But yeah, you just get up and you try again. So the idea is just do things better the next time you do the same thing or you attempt the same thing but not let failures deter you or demotivate you. It's harder said than done, but I think it's important to remember them. It's important to learn a lesson and have a takeaway. If you were to gift one book to your team, what would that be? I've recently read The Selfish Gene. I really think it sort of summarizes our life beautifully. You know, it's, it's And it also lends you a lot of perspective and it makes you realize that you don't drive yourself completely as you would like to believe. And it also helps you understand why you're so close to all the people that you're close to. I thought it was a beautiful book. Like it's science, it's dense, and there's a lot of information, et cetera. But I think it's also full of really good insight. It makes you realize that, you know, you're not alone, but you are a part of a big ecosystem. So it makes you feel at ease in some way. One last question. What is next for your startup and yourself? I think um, next for our startup is basically growth and more growth, making our customers happy. I think the best moments of running a startup are when you hear from your customers and they say that, oh, this worked like a charm to solve a really big problem for me. That's what I'm aiming at, getting to a product which gives you a beautiful experience every single time, whether you are a customer who likes to log in, set it up yourself, or you take help. But either way, you're basically left happy. So I think my personal goal would be to get there. And I think once you get to that goal, the growth will follow. Sophia, thank you for being part of our show. We wish you the best of luck with your venture. This was an amazing episode. How can people reach you? 
people could just drop me an email. It's very simple. My name at narrator.io or they can find me at LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter less occasionally, but LinkedIn is a great way to find me as well. And otherwise just hit support. Yeah. Yeah. And listeners, if you want to know more about Narrator, just go to narrator.io. So it's N-A-R-R-A-T-O.io. Thank you for being part of the show. Thank you, Sophia. Thank you, Javi. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening to The First 100. We hope it inspired you in your journey. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe to our podcast on Apple iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify, and share it with a friend starting their entrepreneurship journey. Leave us a five-star review. Your support will help spread our podcast to more viewers.